I'm Tanzina Vega, host of The Takeaway, and you're listening to Politics Brief from WNYC, bringing you the very best coverage of the 2018 elections. You'll hear segments from my show, as well as The Brian Lehrer Show, On the Media, and The New Yorker Radio Hour, plus the work of the award-winning WNYC Newsroom, which is following all the local New York and New Jersey races. Welcome to Politics Brief from WNYC. Brian Lehrer on WNYC, and now another installment of our fall election series, 30 Issues in 30 Days. Let everybody else talk just about personalities and horse races. We dive deep on one issue every day until the midterm elections, which today is two weeks away, folks. If you don't know who's on the ballot in your district, especially for Congress and New York State Senate, any either you know any of those bodies could flip. Find out who they are and decide who you support. Today's issue on 30 Issues is ethics. One of the first high-profile departures from the revolving door Trump White House last year was the departure of Walter Schaub, not a household name, but he was the director of the U.S. Office of Government Ethics. We'll meet him in a minute. Remember when he gave a speech while he was still a federal employee calling bull on the way the president was divesting his business interests um, because he wasn't? I think Politico called this a half-blind trust, but it's not even halfway blind. The only thing it has in common with a blind trust is the label, trust. His sons are still running the business, and of course he knows what he owns. What is blind is that the public can't see what the Trump family business produces in, say, Saudi Arabia or Russia, because he doesn't reveal his tax returns. Shortly after that speech, Schaub resigned. And since then, ethics norms have continued to be shattered at the White House. Most recently, when Trump blatantly cited his business ties with Saudi Arabia as a reason that he likes their government, but then denied those business ties when taking the Saudi party line on the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. So if Democrats take the House, many want the first legislation to be focused not on health care or on infrastructure, but on ethics reform. And that's why it's one of our issues in 30 Issues. This month, a coalition of 107 Democratic House challengers signed a letter calling for a government and election reform bill to be the first item on the agenda for the 116th Congress. Earlier this year, House Democrats unveiled what that reform might look like in a plan called a better deal for our democracy, a spin on their economic platform, a better deal, with proposals for new ethics laws, campaign finance reforms, and to protect and improve voting rights. Voting rights, by the way, explicitly will be tomorrow's issue in our series. Here with me to go over the ethics proposals is the aforementioned Walter Schaub, now the former director of the United States Office of Government Ethics and senior advisor at the Ethics Watchdog Group, known as CREW. Thanks so much for coming on, Mr. Schaub. Welcome to WNYC. Thanks, Brian. Explain to people, because I think they don't necessarily know, the reach and oversight of your former office, the Office of Government Ethics. How much power did you actually have in enforcing ethics violations? Well, I'd say that before 2017, I thought I had a lot more than it turned out I did. Uh, Forty years ago this very week, Congress passed the Ethics in Government Act, which created the Office of Government Ethics and a new regime for regulating ethics in government, at least in the executive branch in particular. And 
at the time, Congress was responding to a crisis of faith in government triggered by the Watergate scandal and hoped that this would be the dawning of a new era where there would be more accountability, more transparency. Uh, and the program worked pretty well for the better part of 40 years. It wasn't perfect. There was a lot that could be better. But what the Office of Government Ethics enjoyed over those decades was support from both Republican and Democratic presidents whose White Houses backed the Office of Government Ethics whenever it took a stand on ethics issues. Obviously, we're dealing with humans, so there was occasionally tension. Sometimes that tension produced sort of a white-knuckle effect where we're basically yelling at each other in the phone, you know, into the phone. But there was always an underlying respect for what OGE was trying to do. And that led the White House to come around to reasonable compromises. And if they didn't, there was always the threat that the Office of Government Ethics would go public. And there are congressional committee reports in both the Senate and the House saying that a valuable tool for the Office of Government Ethics would be to go public with any concerns. And so OGE always had a sort of soft power. It had the White House backing it, and it had the threat of going public. Well, unfortunately, with the beginning of this administration, the White House no longer backed it and actively pretty much declared war on the government ethics program. And going public produced no effect, because in our hyper-polarized society, the president's supporters were going to back him no matter what he did, proving almost true his statement that he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and his followers would stay loyal mm. to him. So that was sort of the discovery that the systems were always more fragile and depended on norms rather than rules that suddenly this administration is no longer interested in following. We should say by way of background that you were nominated by President Obama, but confirmed by a voice vote in Congress, which is a voting measure that generally indicates bipartisan support. Uh, would you describe yourself as not a partisan person? Do you feel like you're a Democrat? How, what, what would full disclosure be here? I think what I'm interested in is the government ethics program. And right now, the administration is in charge, is not following that. And so I've been very hostile to their approach of things. But before I worked as the director of the Office of Government Ethics, I was a career official at the Office of Government Ethics for the better part of a decade and a half. I started working there in 2001. And I worked very closely with the Bush administration White House and had a great relationship with them and felt that they were very supportive of the ethics program. They were very consistent with the tradition of backing us. And we always knew that we could go to the Bush White House, just as we did the Obama White House, and get support if an official was not doing what we needed. So as far as I'm concerned, ethics and my purpose in pursuing this has no party, and I truly believed that there was no partisan aspect to ethics. I think one of the things that's been very troubling to me, however, is seeing what happens when you have one party control both the White House and both chambers of Congress, because this Congress has wholly abdicated its responsibility under the Constitution to conduct oversight of the executive branch. If President Trump's rival had won the election, they were already promising before Election Day that they were going to hold two years of hearings. And Jason Chaffetz, the chairman of my agency's oversight committee, actually even started talking about impeachment prior to inauguration until uh, people reined him in a bit. 
And so there's no doubt that there's a double standard being applied here because this Congress would certainly be grilling President Trump's rival if she did a fraction of the things he did. You know, they made a big deal out of the fact that she had an association with a nonprofit organization, which is understandable. That might be troubling, but it's not nearly as troubling as an association with a for-profit organization where every dollar that goes into the company is a dollar that people are funneling to this president. Is there an individual thing that you can say has alarmed you most in terms uh, in terms of how this administration has rebuked ethics norms, the thing that might come to people's minds who don't follow it so closely, kind of casually is not releasing the tax returns. Um, what might not people be, th- what, what, what might the average person not be thinking about that you might uh, elevate in their awareness? I think people are aware that the original sin of this administration was that he did not divest his conflicting financial interests. But I don't think people have a full appreciation for how dangerous that actually is. One of the things that we don't know, or there are many things we don't know, rather, because the financial disclosure process is limited. He has to file a financial disclosure form. um, But in addition to not releasing his taxes, that disclosure form does not require him to disclose who his businesses owe money to, who's invested in his business, who his business is working deals with, who their partners and their customers are. So we know almost nothing about the true nature of his company, except the little bit that comes leaking out from other sources. We now know, for instance, that the Saudi government is spending a great deal of money on his hotels, or at least people affiliated with them are. And we have this prime example of the president going soft on a murderous regime that tortured and killed a Virginia resident who worked for one of the nation's top newspapers. And that ought to be sending chills down people's back, not just because of the threat to the First Amendment, but because one has to ask the question, is that policy approach being influenced by his personal financial interests? And the burden of proof shouldn't be on us, the public. It should be on him, because he departed from the ethical norm of divesting his financial conflicts of interest. So the burden of proof is on him to show that when we give him great power, he's not only using it solely for our benefit, but he's being transparent enough to demonstrate that he's being, uh, that all of his decisions are being made in out, solely in our interest and not in his financial interest. But he's been very non-transparent about his holdings. He's actually put up something of a wall against us finding out. And the one thing that we can see of his approach to ethics is that he's frequently touting his properties. He has spent about a third of his time in office visiting a Trump-branded property or Trump-owned property. And every one of those trips is an advertisement for those properties and he vigorously touts them as when he talked about that beautiful slice of chocolate cake they were serving at Mar-a-Lago as he was dropping bombs on Syria. Mm. So I think people are underestimating the extent to which conflicts of interest may be fueling policy decisions in this administration. And I think people have the false sense that conflicts of interest resolution is a matter of protocol or etiquette. But it can be a matter of life and death, and it can be a matter of national security. And so I think people are 
not approaching this from the perspective that this is an extraordinarily dangerous thing. And Congress, which could have held hearings to dive into what his conflicts are and to examine how those conflicts may be influencing him, has wholly abdicated its responsibility and has gone to the lengths of actually covering for him by attacking investigators who would dare to question him rather than holding him to the standard they would hold any other president to. You're listening to the Politics Brief Podcast. We'll be right back after a quick break. My guest is Walter Schaub, former director of the U.S. Office of Government Ethics. He resigned in protest last year. Do you think Congress has the power to do anything about this through new legislation? Yeah, I do. And in fact, I wanted to mention that the group I work for, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, partnered with another group called Public Citizen to issue a report called Trump Proofing the Presidency. And if you just Google that phrase, phrase, Trump proofing the presidency, you'll come across our recommendations for reform. Ideally, I'd like us to go back to the norms that existed before, but we now see what happens when a president has no interest in living up to the ethical norms and is willing to hold his own appointees to a higher standard than he holds himself to. So we're going to need some legislation to require him to divest his financial interests. We're going to need legislation to prohibit him from engaging in nepotism or doing business with the government or seeking to influence the criminal investigative apparatus of the state by leaning on the Department of Justice to back off an investigation of him and his allies, but to go and investigate his vanquished political rival. We need more information about privately held companies so that even when he's divesting them, we also have some information about what those linkages are particularly if they're still held by family members. And we need some internal investigative authority. When I was at the Office of Government Ethics, we had no power whatsoever to conduct investigations. And there is an inspector general at many of the government agencies, but not at the White House. So I think there ought to be an executive branch-wide inspector general that has authority over every entity in the government that lacks an inspector general. We go into a number of other proposals in that, but I think a lot of these things can be done, um, you know, as very bright line rules that could be could be enforced. The problem is we already have a situation now where the the president's advisor, Kellyanne Conway and others have been found guilty of violating a law called the Hatch Act that prohibits the misuse of government position to influence a partisan election. And it was a Trump appointee who heads an agency that's a sister agency to the one I led that found these Trump officials guilty of violating this law. And the Trump administration simply ignored those findings and took no action against them. And Congress could have held his feet to the fire and held him accountable by convening a hearing to find out why the rule of law is being ignored. So I think we need two things. We need to pass new laws, but we need a Congress to be willing to fulfill its constitutional responsibility. Otherwise, all those checks and balances we learned about in high school are meaningless because you can have laws on the books, but they're nothing but words on a page if you don't have a political will to enforce them. Right. And I wonder, and we're going to run out of time soon, but if to that point, history suggests that words on a page can matter. I'm thinking of the um, time the Democrats last took back the House before they lost it again 
in 2006, that was a midterm election year when Bush was president, that also came after historic Republican corruption scandals and resulted in Democratic control of both chambers. And that year, they ran on these reforms and enacted some reforms that had to do with lobbying and making it harder for lawmakers to attach pet projects to spending bills. Um, Did those reforms turn out to matter, in your opinion? I think they've had some effect. I'm not sure that it's enough. You know, we had this massive upheaval in 1978 as a reaction to Watergate, and it looks like our history as a nation is somewhat cyclical. So maybe the wheel needs another spin because we had a pretty good run for 40 years. Now the Office of Government Ethics and a number of other structures designed as a response to Watergate have become ineffective because the White House is stonewalling them. And so now we need, once again, to spin the wheel and rev up some momentum for some very strong ethics reforms. We leave it there with Walter Schaub, former director of the United States Office of Government Ethics, now senior advisor at the Government Ethics Watchdog Group, Crew. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Politics Brief. If you want more, go to wnyc.org slash election.